Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is the message given on Sunday morning, October 1st, 2023 by Tom Job from the book of Romans in chapter 16. Anyway, I wanted to read you guys. Um, okay, so I wanted to read to you out of one of the greatest chapters of the New Testament ever. Well, first, I'm going to tell you a little. Well, okay, let me read a little bit. Okay, so this is the last chapter of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 16, where Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Sincrea and ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way that is worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need um, from you, for she has been a benefactor to many people, including me. Greet greet Priscilla and Aquila, my coworkers in Christ. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard in the Lord. Okay, so can I tell you what's, what's happening? Okay, so I read, it was an article, and it was talking about celebrity, like celebrities who endorse products, you know, like kind of, that's always been that way. It was just kind of like, Years ago, the history of advertisement and how celebrities would endorse products. You know, you think about Jimmy Dean, you think about Sausage Dizzy Dean. He endorsed Beech Nut Tobacco and Falstaff Beer. James Dean, he endorsed Pepsi-Cola and Coca-Cola and Marlboro cigarettes. Groucho Marx, he endorsed Skippy Peanut Butter and what we used to call Sugar Frosted Flakes, which they took the word sugar out not out of the box, but out of the name. <laughs> Stevie Wonder endorsed Atari video games. Miguel Gorbachev once made a commercial for Pizza Hut. Um, Doris Day did a lot. I don't know if y'all know who she was. She was an actor when, actress when we were a kid. She did an endorsement for International Deluxe Roller Compactors, which are those big things that they use to flatten out the street when they're laying the asphalt on the street. She's riding on it like she's riding a bull. Amelia Earhart endorsed Lucky Strike cigarettes. The cigarettes that got me across the Atlantic, it says. She's, it'll help you keep a slender figure. Don't reach for a chocolate, reach for a Lucky. Um, cigarettes, by the way, Okay, so one of the most famous uh, celebrity endorsers of Winston cigarettes was Fred Flintstone. And um, I started smoking cigarettes at 10. Thanks, Fred. But they, <laughs> but um, Ronald Reagan, I mean, we, the people that endorse cigarettes, the St. Louis Cardinals, Stan Musial, they all, they all indoor cigarettes all the time. Ronald Reagan sold more cigarettes than anybody in the history of cigarettes. He used to make these advertisements for Chesterfields. It's gonna be the mildest Christmas ever. I'm mailing cartons of his, it was him with a mountain of Chesterfields, cartons of Chesterfield cigarettes and writing Christmas cards to all his friends. It never causes your throat to be irritated or makes you cough, ever. And um, so, I was just kind of thinking about why does that work? 
Like, why the celebrity endorsements work? And I think that, I mean, almost always it's people who are famous, rich, and powerful. And I think that, that people, the kind of logic is, if I smoke the cigarette they smoke, at least in one thing we're kind of the same. And maybe if I keep doing it, I'll be like them in other ways. Maybe I'll be famous and rich and powerful. And one thing I don't think that advertising executives knew back then, but that all people have these, have, a, have needs, have basic needs of the soul. It's the way God made them. Everybody needs love. Everybody needs infinite love. Everybody needs, in order to have a life that's at all, full at all, there are basic needs. Everybody needs to feel infinitely loved. Everybody needs worth. I need to know that my life has value. And everybody needs purpose, that my life is meaningful, that it mattered that I lived in this world, and that my life has purpose and meaning. Only God can fill those primary needs. If a person doesn't really know him, they're not gonna be filled, and so people try to fill primary needs in secondary ways, and it never really works. But maybe they're thinking, love, I need infinite love. I don't really have that, but maybe being famous. It's kind of like love, right? Being popular. Not really, but they're not thinking right. I need worth as a person. I don't really have that, but maybe I could be rich. It's kind of like it. No, it's not really like it. But they're not really thinking right. Maybe I need purpose and meaning in life. I don't really have any purpose, but maybe I could be powerful. Maybe I could be a person who bosses people around. And it's kind of like purpose. Not really at all. But they don't know that because they're not thinking right. But if I smoke the cigarettes they smoke, and that's why when those commercials would come on in the 1950s and people were looking for love and worth and purpose, their immediately thought, thought was, can I bum a cigarette off of you? But, um, so what is happening in Romans chapter 16? The book of Romans, Paul is presenting kind of a product. It's, um, it's an offer. It's a gift and it's free and it will give you love and worth and purpose. And Romans chapter, what Romans chapter 16 is, is it's a list of names of people. So sometimes in Paul's letters, he does that, like where he'll say, um, so-and-so says hello to you. He does it like a little bit. Like in Colossians, he does it. So-and-so says hello and say hello to this person. In Philippians, he does it a little bit. In Galatians, he doesn't do it at all. And in Ephesians, he doesn't do it at all. But in Romans chapter 16, it's all it is. There's no other place like it in the New Testament. It's 29 people in the city of Rome that Paul is saying, say hello to them, say hello to them, say hello to them. There's nine people at the end of the chapter that is people saying, and this person in Corinth where I am wants to say hello to you. It's 29 people 
that he said, greet them, greet them, greet them. One thing about them was there were a couple of them who were kind of famous, but most of them weren't. There were a few that might have been rich, but most of them weren't. There were some who had found great purpose for their life, but some of them were slaves. They didn't have any of their own plans that they could fulfill. But they had all found love. And they had all found what people are looking for. They had all found worth. And they had all found purpose in what Paul was offering people. And he was basically saying, these are my non-celebrity, celebrity endorsements. And there's a place at the end of the chapter where he says, and people who are with me, so people who are with me in Corinth, some of them want to say, hey. So he says in verse 21, Timothy, my coworker, sends his greetings to you, as does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. And then there's some others. Lord, I do ask you to help us to understand, um, understand um, why these people were the way they were, that they are men and they are women. They are Romans and they are immigrants. They are wealthy people and they are poor people. They are Jewish people and they're non-Jewish people. And they've all found what we're looking for. And praise God, what we found. Help us to understand these are brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's this one guy. So what I wanted to do for a few weeks is just talk about who some of these people were. I thought I would call this series Fancy Meeting You Here. But in verse 22, there's a guy that says, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. And I think that, I don't know if it's true, but it's possible that Tertius was um, a Roman citizen. It's, I have my own reasons for believing that he may have been Italian. Because one thing about Italians is, well, one thing about most cultures besides our culture is in a lot of cultures, people are a lot more affectionate than we are. Like they're, they're a lot more, they're better at showing affection. Like Italians always kiss you. Like when you go into, like you, if you go, well, in their family, among their friends, they always kiss you. They start on the left and they kiss you, kiss you on the left cheek and they kiss you on the right cheek. In the, among the people of God, like in church communities, everybody kisses everybody because it's a way of saying, you're my family, like you're my people. French people always start on the right cheek and they kiss on the left cheek. So if you have French people in your church and you're going to greet them, you need to come to some agreement about what side you're going to start on because you'll just wind up right on the mouth, you know, if you're, if you're not careful. <laughs> it's kind of a crash, but, um, but it's just, but most people uh, like are that way. There was a, uh, but Americans are not quite as affectionate as I remember one time we had just moved home from Italy in 1996. 
And somebody had called, and I, our church was, had been going about a year, and somebody called me because they weren't going to be able to come to a meeting that we were having, and, and they left me a, so it was when they had um, voice message, like a voice message box. You know what I mean? It was, that was like the, a super new thing, where you could call somebody, and if they didn't answer, you could leave them a voice message. And we had never seen it. And so all of a sudden, I, this light's flashing. So I think, and he said, hey, Tom, just calling to let you know, I won't be able to come to the meeting tonight. Um, but I wish I could, but I can't. Um, love you. And it hung up. And I thought, who knew? <laughs> kind of puts a little, <laughs> you know, a spark in my day. I didn't know he loved me. And then there was another message, and, and that message was, said, hey, Tom, um, I, so this is me again. Um, so I, so I, I think I might have told you that I loved you, like on that last message, and um, I do, but what happened is, that's really what I always say to Becky when I call her during the day, and I always tell, say, love you, and so I kind of did it by um, just, habit and but but I mean I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I do um, I'm not really sure what I'm trying to tell you but have a great day and then it went off <laughs> and I remember Tina the first time we had, the first time she ever got um, a message from the, uh, this girl that was that uh, named Cindy and then she, and and so Tina called her back and left her a message it was the first time she'd ever done it and she said okay in Jesus' name, amen. And she hangs and she goes, what did I just say? But, uh, I mean, who else do you talk to that doesn't talk back to you? But they, um, but so, um, but I remember one time, uh, it was a, an article I was reading about, uh, and it was on 9-11, and it was messages that people, it was this long article, and it was messages that people had left, people who were trapped in, in the, uh, in the, North, the North Tower and the South Tower, and they knew they weren't going to get, they knew they weren't going to get out, and so they were calling people to leave a message, and almost everyone that had been researched was somebody calling somebody, just to tell them that they loved them. Hey, babe, I don't know if I'll ever see your face again. I just want you to know that I love you. There was one little boy, and his mom, she was, they were a Latino family, and he was a janitor in one of the towers, and he called, and she had gone down to change the laundry at the laundromat downstairs, and her little eight-year-old answered the phone and, and hung up, and it was his dad, and she told her, and he told his mom, dad just called, he wanted me to tell you and make sure that you know that he loves you. But for some um, for some people, it's extremely difficult to express love, to express affection, to say it, and sometimes to give it. And one of the reasons is because of, um, it's funny, but one of the reasons why some people struggle to give love is because of anxiety. So, like when people have anxiety, especially when they have chronic anxiety, the reason people have anxiety, I've been doing a lot of reading about this, is that one of your brain's jobs, one of its principal jobs, is to keep you safe. 
and sometimes people feel kind of constantly that they're in a situation where they don't feel safe. They feel kind of threatened by something. And your body has a capacity. It has a sympathetic nerve system and a parasympathetic nerve system. And when a person feels like they're not safe and they go into what they call stress mode, they go into what they call emotional deregulation and your heart starts to beat and faster and you start to sweat and you start to breathe faster. And what that does is it shuts down your prefrontal cortex. And your prefrontal cortex is where you do your most advanced rational reasoning. And love is a rational reasoning thing that people have to do, but they have a hard time doing it because that part of their brain has been shut down because they don't feel safe in a certain situation and they're in fight or flight. And there are people who live that way constantly. They always feel like they're unsafe. And the reason is because the fundamental needs of their heart, they don't feel like they're being met. They don't feel loved. They feel like they might be rejected. They don't feel like they're worth anything. They feel like I'm gonna get in a situation and I'm gonna fail and I'm gonna show myself to be like a worthless person or they don't feel any sense of purpose. What if I get sick? What if I get hurt? What if I can't do what I'm supposed to do? What if I get cancer? What if I can't fulfill my destiny? And so they're in constant fight or flight. And the part of the brain that loves isn't functioning well. It says in 1 John chapter 4, there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. And if I'm going to be a person who can show affection, can tell people that I love them, can live a life of love and love people, I have to feel safe. I can't feel unsafe all the time. I can't feel like I'm not gonna be loved. I'm not gonna be worth anything. I'm gonna be a failure. My life's not gonna have meaning. I have to have a heart that's full. I have to know that I'm loved. I have to know that I'm worth something. I have to know that my life has purpose. So I can be free to, to get, to live, to live, to have fun, to have joy, to love people. So, what Tertius says in, um, what, he, what this guy says in verse 22, I, Tertius, who write down this letter, greet you in the Lord. So the word greet, the Greek word for greet is a word that's, that means to draw people in, to reach out and draw people together. To, I, I'm reaching out to you. So in the Italian Bible, so in, in Italy, when somebody's call, talking to you on the phone and a friend or something, and, they, and you say goodbye, or they, they text you and say goodbye, they say, un abbraccio, un abbraccio forte, un abbraccio, which means an abbraccio is a hug. I hug you. I send you a hug. I send you my hugs. So in the Italian Bible, it says, io tercio, that I tercio, che scrivo questa lettera, that's who's writing down this letter, vi abbraccio nel Signore. I just hug y'all. I just love y'all. I never met y'all, but I just hug y'all. I just love everybody. And I just feel like he's a person who is just full of love. He's ready to hug people he doesn't know. He would kiss them if they were there. You know, it's just like, I just love everybody. And so somehow this is a person who is, who is full. He's not threatened. He's safe. 
He has emotional regulation. He knows that he's loved. He knows that he's a person of worth. He knows he's a person whose life has meaning and purpose. The only thing is, his name is not a name. It's a number. It's the number three. He didn't have a name. He had a number because he was a slave. And at some, when he was born, I guess, and he was sold to some Roman whatever family or something. And they didn't even give him a name. And they just gave him a number. And he grew up without the kind of love that you would expect from parents that he never knew. And worth, what worth, what worth? You don't even have a name. And what purpose? He just did all day everybody's will, but his own. But somehow, he had found it. He had found that place where I can know that I'm loved. I can know that I'm a person of worth. I can know that I have a life of meaning and purpose. And I'm like, where did he find it? And he said, I, Tertius, who write this letter. I thought Paul wrote it. Yeah, Paul wrote it, but he dictated. So he could have been a slave who was kind of a scribe or maybe had those kind of, he could read, he was literate. And um, so he was kind of like the secretary. So he was Paul's secretary as he's writing. And then Paul maybe had to go to the bathroom or something. And, and Tercius is like, yo, attention, attention. This is Tercius on the dispatch. <laughs> Shout out, yo, in the capital of the Roman Empire to all y'all. This is Tertius, and, but, um, so he, it could have, but you know, when I think about him writing this letter, and I know that it was a message that he knew so well, but to see it written out, to hear it written out, to write it down himself, at the end of it, he's like, I'm about to explode with love. So the letter to the Romans that Paul wrote, it was, so this was a place he had never been. It was the capital of the world, the most important city in the world with a large Christian community. Nobody knows where they came from. You, like to the, his letter to the Philippians, he started those people, you know, and made them into a Christian community. The letter to the Thessalonians, to the Colossians. It was all people he started. Rome had a big community of Christians. Nobody knew where it came from. Some people th said, think it might've come from Jerusalem when Peter preached the gospel on that first day on the day of Pentecost and there were Romans there and they took it back and it began to grow. They spread the message. And sometimes when that happens, it can get a little wonky. Like people, like, do we really believe the things that we're supposed to believe? And we don't really have any good foundation. So Paul said, I want to come to Rome. Lots of people I love there already. But before I come, hey, I want to make sure that we're on the same page. You know what I mean? I know you all know this stuff and please forgive me for telling you things you know, but I want to make sure that you understand the message. So is it okay if I just explain it to you? So that's what he does from verse 118 all the way through, you know, the whole thing, but mainly through, um, through chapter 8, verse 39, just explaining the message, just to make sure that you all, that you all have the message, because we have a message. It's, it's, he said, I'm not afraid of the, good, of the gospel. The gos gospel is a German word. It's the word good spiel. Like a spiel is like a message, and it's the good one. It's, but it, the, it, it basically means news. It's news. Something, 
This is not good advice. It's not good principles for living. It's not good Christian values that we try to legislate on everybody. It's good news. Something has happened. Something has happened in ancient history that if you open your heart to it, it will change your present reality and your future destiny. But he starts out by saying in chapter one, um, in, in, in verse 18, I gotta give you some really bad news. I got some great news. Before I give you the good news, I've gotta give you some bad news. The bad news is y'all really need this good news. And so from chapter one, verse 18, all the way through chapter three, verse 20, he said, okay, the bad news is, is we're all super sinful. Like everybody is super sinful. We've all done a million things and said a million things, thought a million things that we can never pay for. We're hopelessly polluted. We can't pay for what we've done and we can't cleanse our own heart. It's a complete and total disaster. And you feel like, well, how did that happen? So he kind of explains in chapter one how it happened that everybody became so terrible, like why human history is so terrible. And he said, he said, because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because since the creation of the world, or it's another, it could also, that could also be translated in the creative world, his eternal, his there are invisible things about God that you can know about him from the things that he's made, from the things that God has created, which that's a word. It's a word that means workmanship. It's the same word that's used in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship. In the workmanship of God, of creation, there are things about God you can know. And people have turned away from that. So like the word workmanship, it's really the Greek word poema. It's where we get the word poem. Creation is a poem. And you think about the fact that on the second day of the world, God created air and he created water. And people need air and people need water. And God gives you air and God gives you water. And, and people need love. And we have a God who is love. And people need worth. And God made you. God gives you the worth that you need. And people need meaning and purpose in life. And God is the one who gives meaning and purpose. But what happened is human beings said, I can't do anything about air. And I can't do anything about water because God gives those and I super need them. But I don't want my God giving me love. And I don't want God giving me worth. And we want to be independent from him. And we want to make it on our own. And that's what people did. So meeting a God-given need in a way, independent from him, in a way and in a time that he doesn't want is basically the definition of what theologians call sin. I have a need, but I don't want him to meet it. So people have needs for love, infinite love. Only God can give it. Well, I don't want that. So I might try to be popular and I might try to be famous. And in order for me to be popular and famous, I might have to talk about people behind their back and I might have to gossip about them and I might have to go on Instagram and former Twitter that they call X and Facebook, but I don't think they're ever gonna call that meta, but I'm gonna go on there and I'm gonna present a presentation of myself that's absolutely false. And, you know, and just, I'm gonna put people down to build myself up. I'm meeting a need that God would meet, but I wanna meet it myself. And it makes me judgmental, and it makes me a gossip. There was a guy, there was a, uh, a Russian Orthodox priest one time that said he was on his honeymoon in Paris from Russia with his wife, and they were on the bus, and they were giggling and laughing, and there was a really, really old, wrinkled-up woman in the Salvation Army 
outfit, sitting on the bus, and they just started laughing at her. Isn't she ugly? Isn't she so wrinkled? How could you be as ugly as that? She, you know, in Russian, they were saying this. She's, and she's just sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. And she's, oh, she's ridiculous. She's so ugly and wrinkled. What if we were that ugly? And then she came to her stop, and she got up, and she walked towards the exit, and she reached down, and she looked down and said to them in perfect Russian, I was not always this ugly. You know, people need, um, people need worth. I don't know where to get that. God gives it. I don't want his. So maybe I could be rich. Well, what if other people have to be poor for me to be rich? Um, well, I don't really care because I have this need. And there are 27 million slaves in the world today, more than there have ever been. Because people can't think about it or worrying about it. I don't have purpose in life. Maybe I could be powerful. Maybe I could dominate people. Um, I was listening to a guy this week, he's a Native American Christian, and he was giving a lecture and just talking about what it means to walk with Jesus Christ as a Native American, but he said that he was, he was in a big a city, and it was a Columbus Day parade, and they were celebrating the discovery of America, and he said, without thinking about it, I said, you don't discover a land that's already inhabited, and they said, what? And he said, there were 20 million people here. You didn't discover it. And he said, sometimes when I'm lecturing about this, I try to tell people, why don't you put your car keys and your laptop and your wallet on the table, and I'll come along and discover them. And he said, <laughs> he said he was watching the news with his granddad, and they were talking about border security and the problem of immigration and border security. And his dad said, it's too late. And he said, what do you mean it's too late? He said, well, my great -great, when my great-great-granddad was a, a kid, they had already taken over everything. So. Um, but uh, So it's a mess. Trying to get needs met that only God could meet in a way or a time that he didn't want. And we can't pay for what we've done. And we can't cleanse our own heart. But chapter 3, verse 21, it says, but now, when we've been so independent of God and tried to meet the needs of love, worth, and purpose on our own and made such a total disaster of everything. A righteousness from God has been made available. This is the good news. A righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God but are justified freely. They're, we're justified freely. There's a way that we can be forgiven freely. There's a way we can be forgiven of everything we've ever done, do, or will do in an instant because Jesus was almighty God who became a human being who came to teach us how to live, to show us how to live. We didn't do that. We didn't want that. We wanted to meet our needs ourselves. And we've made a disaster, so he came primarily to pay. And he paid for all of the mess that we've made. All of our guilt, all of our pollution rose from the dead and offers to whoever wants it justification, which means a complete forgiveness of everything you've ever done, do, or will do in an instant. It's more than that. It's his righteousness given as a gift, just as our guilt was transferred to him mysteriously when he was paying for us in that way. And he... and even though he had never done anything wrong and he paid for all of it, when you believe in Jesus, his righteousness is transferred to you mysteriously, even though we've never done anything 100% right and we pay for none of it. 
It's absolute that you can know that you're forgiven and why wouldn't we be the happiest people in all the world that because believing in Jesus, just by believing in Jesus, I'm forgiven, I'm righteous. His righteousness is given to me. This is like amazing. Why aren't we more excited about that? And I think that one of the reasons is that we might ask the question, but my need was love. I needed to feel infinitely loved. This feels like it's kind of for everybody. Kind of like anybody could have this. I really, really need it and I'm thankful to have it, but it doesn't make me feel, it's kind of like the sun shines on everybody. So if you go outside, the sun's gonna shine on you because the sun is the sun and you're a human being in the world. And God is love and God loves me because I'm a human being and he's love. But it doesn't make me feel that love, that infinite love for myself. If all you have to do is just believe and anybody could. He goes on to say in chapter eight, verse 28 and 29, and we know that God caused all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose for whom he foreknew he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he foreknew, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And these he justified, these he also glorified. I don't know whether you caught this. Anybody who believes in Jesus will be justified. Why doesn't everybody believe in Jesus? It's because they can't. But you have, and I have, and we're justified in Jesus Christ. Do you know why that is? Because he called you. It's because he wanted specifically you. He chose you. He adopted you. He went into the orphanage and picked you. God wanted you. That's why you believe in Jesus when other people don't. Well, doesn't God love everyone? Yes. Well, it doesn't seem fair. I don't know what to tell you about that. But what I do know is he loved me and he wanted me and he wanted you. And it was because he had some infinite love for you and some infinite love that he has for everybody, but in a special way, he had it for me. I, there was a guy, uh, he was a Young Life guy named Phil Anderson, and he said one time in a book, he was on the beaches of North Carolina, and he was having a hard time, and he just was depressed, and stuff wasn't going good, and he was worn out and exhausted, and they had gone away for a vacation. He was just sitting on the beach moping and stuff, and there was a mom and her child that were about 100 feet down the beach, you know, and he was all suntan and everything, and all of a sudden, this kid looks at him, looks at Phil sitting in this chair all mopey and his eyes lit up and Phil realized that this child had Down syndrome. He was about eight or nine years old and he yelled something and starts to run to Phil as fast as he could. He didn't know what to do and he opened up his arms. This kid jumps into his arms he, and he just picked him up and he kissed him right on the mouth and the mom comes and says, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I, didn't, I hope he didn't disturb you. He said, no, my word, no, no, no. No, it wasn't a disturbance at all. And he just, and he led the, she, she took the boy back and he just thought about it for a few days. And now about the third day, he said, God, was that a prophet? Was that you? 
Where you tell him, you feel this is the way I feel about you all the time. I'm delighted in you all the time. I think about you all the time. That kiss, that's how I feel about you, Phil, all the time. I know you don't know it, but I'm crazy about you. You know, and it's just like, I don't know why. So I don't know why God picked you and me. I don't know. I need to have a worth a personal worth. Well, maybe, 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 as God loves me and I accept his love for me and I believe his love for me, I'm starting to find out something about myself. One thing that it says in, well, that Jesus, so he said, what God is doing right now is he's making you into the image of Jesus. So he's making you into the image of Jesus. He's making me into the image of Jesus. He made you into an individual when he made you. It says in Psalm 139, he said, you form my kidneys. You, you form my body inside my mother and you form my kidneys, which their kidneys was the way they said soul, like kind of like my heart, my personality. You gave me a unique personality. You made me into a unique person, which as long as we don't have Jesus, we're never gonna be that. We're always gonna try to be like everybody else and you know all that stuff. But I have a unique personality. Jesus has come into my life. The Holy Spirit of God has come to live inside of you, inside of me, and he's making you more like Jesus. But the more you become like Jesus, the more I become like Jesus, the more unique we become. Like if you have a refrigerator and a microwave and a dishwashing machine and they're unplugged, they're exactly the same. They're square, they're cold, they don't do anything. Plug them into the same power, they become completely unique. And God is making you, as you become more like Jesus, he's making you into the person that he always intended you to be. He's making you into a person that nobody else could be but you. A person uh, more like Jesus, the Jesus-y you, but the you that's Jesus-y, the, G, the you that's you. He's making into the you that nobody else could be. To do things that nobody else could do. Do you need worth as a person? How about that you know what I mean? That God, and that you get to a certain place where you look in the mirror after some times goes by and you start to say, I like that guy. I like that gal. I'm starting to like the person that God is making me. I never knew I was me. I'm starting to find out. So what's my purpose? My purpose is, my purpose is everything that happens in my life is working towards that. My purpose in life is becoming that guy. It's not doing anything. It's becoming. It's just being. And so I'm just full. Tertius is like, I'm just full. I'm loved. I don't even have a dang name. I'm loved. I'm liking who Jesus is making me and the purpose of my life and my, what, my goofy old master, whatever he tells me to do. That's a part of Jesus making me into the person that I'm supposed to be and I'm loving it. And I love y'all. And I would just hug y'all. You know, I had a guy I can love because the message of Jesus has filled the empty places of my heart. I'm safe, I feel safe, and I can love. Can I tell you one thing? One time, I was down at Sharp Top Cove, which is a young life camp, where they take all these high school kids and they tell them about Jesus, and they tell, like, they have more fun than they've ever had in their life, and, but they'll give them messages about, what's your deepest need? Why do you feel so needy? What is, so, Pursuing that need, what's kind of made us all messed up, right? Right? That what Jesus has come to do. So I was the adult guest host, which they get adults to come that they want to learn about young life. And there was a, a retired cop from New Jersey. 
And uh, they lived in Florida. And so I was getting to know them. And he's, you know, he's a big guy, about you know, 340, you know, just a big, strong cop. And I said, so Jeff, so um, what are you doing here? Well, my daughter wants me to learn about young life and how young life reaches kids with the love of Christ. I said, great, great, great. Well, then, that, then after they did what they called the sin talk, he was crying with Shelly Sadler. And he was crying. She was the speaker. She was amazing. And he was crying. And I said, Jeff, are you OK? And he said, I've never heard this before. I said, wait till tomorrow night, friend. It's going to rock your face off. And so the next night, what they do is they tell him why Jesus came and that you could accept the gift. And they send him out into the dark for 20 minutes of dark. And they sent the kids out. And the whole place was dark. And you could hear him crying over the whole camp. And I went down afterwards where they have refreshments and that stuff. And I said, Jeff, you OK? And he said, my daughter wanted me to learn how young life reaches kids with the love of Christ, but I think I found the love of Christ. I don't normally hug men, but come here. <laughs> Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can be safe, we can be full, we can love. Amen. You reached down for me, you took hold of me. Lord, you rescued me from my enemy. You reached down for me, you took hold of me. Lord, you rescued me from my enemy. From under deep waters, when I was too weak, in the day of disaster, you came for me. I lifted my voice, and you heard my cry. You parted the heavens, you tore back the of me.
was your enemy. 